Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with Bay Casey, a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experiences of freelancers. Today on the show, we have my friend Rocky Garza. Welcome to the show, Rocky. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We are in his, uh, I guess, would you call this an office space or what yeah, would you call office this? office space, meeting space, studio experience lab. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, office. <laughs> we're, in his office. office. We're, in, we're in Rocky's <laughs> office and I don't know that I would, would you consider yourself a freelancer anymore? Um, I think it depends. T- you tell me based on this podcast, <laughs> what do you, how do you define a freelancer? And I'll tell you if I think I'm that, uh, that kind of is fluid sometimes like yeah. kind of, but I feel like basically when I think of freelancing, I think of uh, coming in and being able to work with other groups or teams as a part of their team um, and function as if you were part of it, but actually not. Then I and would say, then I'm a 50% freelancer. 50% freelancer. Yeah. Cool. So I feel like half the time, yes, that that's follow suit. I go in and work with teams, businesses, organizations as a member of their team. Um, for the duration I'm with them, I want to assume that I work, I work, I work with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, mm-hmm. and then I would say 50% of my time now, uh, is more based on that definition. I would say I'm not a freelancer. Maybe, maybe I'm more of, uh, an experienced creator. Maybe okay. I'm more of a, where I'm asking people to come into my environment mm-hmm. and it'll give me the opportunity to create an experience for them. And that may be one-on-one that may be with a team that may be digitally, that may be through social media. There may be lots of t- op- opportunities for touch points, but I think in all those, I'm asking you probably to come into my space more than I am coming into your space. Okay. I, uh, I guess I would also think of freelancing as like somebody that works like independently and where they're not really like, I work directly with clients or like you were doing weddings and stuff for yep. a while. Like I would have yep. on a level been like, Oh yeah, you're a freelancer. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I digress. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I would love to hear kind of your story and yeah. what has gotten you to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Well, I'm going to go all the way back uh, just because that's the only way I know to like, yeah. tell a story is to go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was born in Kansas, um, but I only lived in Kansas for about a week. Um, so I don't really claim Kansas. I came back to the Dallas area. For those of you that are familiar with Dallas-Fort Worth, um, Carrollton Farmers Branch was kind of the area that I would I would say I, say I grew up in slash was like home base for me. And so... Um, I lived a lot of places growing up pre seventh grade, um, moved a ton every year, if not twice a year. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was two. Um, never lived with my dad growing up after my parents got divorced. My dad got remarried when I was seven. Um, still married, has two boys. So I have two half brothers, uh, but never lived with my dad growing up after my parents got divorced. Um, so I either lived with my mom and, or my grandparents who are my mom's parents, uh, my whole life growing up. And so, yeah, we moved a ton. We lived like North of McKinney pre-kindergarten, moved to Louisville for half a kindergarten, moved back to Farmer's Branch to finish kindergarten, moved to San Antonio for first and second grade, uh, moved um, the other side of San Antonio for third grade, um, halfway through third grade, moved back to Farmer's Branch, um, Carrollton for fourth grade, Farmer's Branch for fifth grade, Frisco for sixth grade, then back to my grandparents' house in seventh grade. Oh man. Yeah. And so, wow. um, so yeah, I moved a ton. I moved to my grandparents in seventh grade. My mom then moved back to where we were um, but my mom lived like four streets down kind of seventh grade through 12th grade. So my mom was around, she was close, but I, I live with my grandparents. And so, um, I say all that because I think it's a significant part of my story. And I don't mean that from like a, woe is me. You should feel sad for me. Like I'm 36. I've been to a lot of counseling, like feeling good. Uh, 
But I think I'm a pretty firm believer for all of us um, that, and this is a human thing, that whatever happens to us between the ages of six and 12 that we did to survive, and we could probably extend that. We could probably say like six to 15, you know, if we wanted to, but in that six to eight year period that we do to survive. And when I say survive, I don't mean life or death, unless that's your story. Like whatever we do to get by is a really accurate description of how we operate as an adult. And so for me, like, I feel like it's, it's necessary for me to tell that part of my story is, as we talk about anything relative to today, because I think what was formed then for me gives a really accurate picture of who I am now and how I am attempting to continually like hone in the things that I believe I was given and my strengths are. I do believe those things were half who I am by nature. And I think half of those things have been done in a part of me because of the experiences that I had. And so I learned really early on, if I could outthink you, outtalk you, outwit you, outschmooze you, then I could typically get what I wanted. That's how I built relationships. That's how I, um, you know, it was a new place, a new school. I didn't realize the first day of school didn't mean the first day out of school until seventh grade. Like I didn't realize that was a term of like a time of year. I thought it was like a term of like a position. Right. And so, mm. um, I remember being like, Oh, like first day of the school year. Got it. Got it. I thought that was like first day out of school. Cause it had always been my first day out of school. You probably didn't, I would imagine on some level being young, you probably didn't even realize that it's not normal for kids to bounce I, around no, like that. I literally thought the reason everyone used the term like back to school and first day of school is because it was everyone's first day at that school. Wow. Like I never, I could not until seventh grade. Right. And it really wasn't until I was trying to be on this little league baseball team. And, um, I, I wanted to be on the Yankees cause I heard they were good, but the coach of the Yankees was like, nah, bro, you can't be on our team because you've these, we've all been playing together since we were five. We don't know you, you need to be on the Braves, but the Braves were terrible. And I was like, I don't want to be on the Braves. I want to be on the Yankees cause the Yankees are good. And then I remember like, Oh, like you guys have always lived here. Like, this is your first time on a team like mine. You guys have never not been on a team together. Huh. Weird. All right. Well, I guess I'll play on the Braves. You know, like that was just like normal life. And so, um, so yeah, I think, I think growing up, like I, I was kind of like what I can call like a silver platter kid, meaning like on the outside, I had everything that I needed, typically everything that I wanted. Like I live with my grandparents who basically got to be parents again, but this time with time and resources, which is like every kid's dream. Right. And so, um, my grandma was my best friend. So I think it was a part of my childhood that was a little different than most because I didn't like, I, I played sports, but I wasn't like super into watching sports at home because nobody in my house watched sports. Um, I kind of like missed the Star Wars video game part of like my childhood because my grandma wasn't into Star Wars or video games. And so like, neither was I because I was into whatever she was into, right? And so I think, or I think really for me, like it shaped a lot of my experience even now as an adult. I'm not a big sports guy. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I'm not a big video game guy. I don't think there's anything wring with those that just wasn't a part of like for me growing up, like, and something that was instilled as like something you did and you learned in you. And so, um, instead, like we mow the grass together and we went shopping together and we like went to see family together and we spent a lot of quality time together. And so I think even looking at my life now, like those are still things that are really important to me. <laughs> Graduated high school, um, went to junior college for a couple of years. Um, we don't have, we don't have enough, um, space on our memory cards to talk about how I ended up at junior college for a couple of years. But basically a short story is like I applied to the wrong school, but didn't know it. I applied to go to AM, but I actually applied to AM Commerce, but I didn't know it. Got an acceptance letter from Commerce. And I was like, the hell, like this is bullshit. I don't want to go to Commerce. My bad. Like I applied to the wrong school. And so, um, anyway, ended up going to junior college for a couple of years. Um, found out that at, at that school, the president, if you go there for two years, the president of the school picks one kid every year to give a full ride to wherever they want to go. They call the president scholarship. So I found out what that kid normally did and said, I'm going to do whatever that kid normally did to get that scholarship. Cause I want to get a full ride to go where I'm going next. And so I did all those things and lo and behold, got the president scholarship, um, transferred to AM my junior, my junior year of college. Not really sure why I wanted to go to AM, but for some reason, that's kind of always where I thought in my mind, I wanted did to go. Did your grandmother go there? Um, she did or not. She I, I, about literally, it or... no, but I don't know. I, I think the only thing that 
reason I can say that I think I was in my brain is because my grandfather was the FFA, like the ag t- agriculture teacher at our high school. And so like, I was like that kind of like that kid that was like student body president, captain of the football team, captain of the baseball team, uh, vice president of FFA. Uh, right. Like I kind of had like all these like weird tangents of things. And so, mm-hmm. um, really of all this and all the stock shows, A&M was kind of like the big name that was there to support and their students and their staff. And so I think I had just always seen in that part of my life that A&M was a place that was revered and like people respected and it like, I did get to experience some, I never went to the campus per se, but they were always at those events. And so I think that's kind of how it got stuck in the back of my brain. And when it talked about, if I ever said like, well, I kind of like A&M, people were always like, oh really? That's awesome. So I think it was like that affirmation. Like, oh, this is, yeah, this is like, a good thing yeah, to like. People okay, like that. Cool. So I like that. Yeah. And honestly, because I had no idea where I wanted to go. Uh, and in high school, I thought I was going to go play football someplace. And, and then like two weeks before you decide where you're going and where you're going to commit to, I was like, I don't even like football that much why am I going to commit four years to playing something I'm like not that even into? And so that's what kind of led even part of the like junior college back out. Cause basically like schools where I was gonna play football, I was like, meh, I don't, I don't actually care about football that much. I'm out. And so anyway, hit up at AM. Um, after my first semester at AM, keep to, we're to, so we don't digress in the story. Um, got offered a full ride, got to AM. After my first semester, got a phone call one day that said, Hey, your tuition's due today. And I was like, Hey, you know, uh, I think you have the wrong number. Like I'm on a scholarship. I don't have, I don't owe you any money. And they're like, Hey, you didn't make grades. And so you don't have any money. Your tuition's due today. You're going to get dropped my art classes. And so I think for me, for the first time in my life, um, you know, the, the way I talk about it now, I don't know if I had this language then or not, but the way I say it now is like, I feel like for the first time in my life, I kind of was able to like remove myself and look at my own life and kind of had this moment of like, if this is what life looks like when you live in the middle of your own world, and this is not the way that I want to live my life. And I didn't know that I had an answer to what that meant. I just knew that what I was doing then wasn't working. And so, um, thankfully I had a, a good group of friends who were like, Hey, you're an idiot. And whatever you're doing now is stupid. So you should stop doing those things. And I was like, I think you are right. And so, um, ended up going to a place called sky ranch out in East Texas. Uh, so it's a summer camp for kids. Um, worked out there as a counselor in the summer of 2004. Um, really, I think that summer kind of had my first experience where there seemed to be people who cared about me and loved me for who I was and not what I was doing. And I don't think that, um, not that my parents, my grandparents, my family, my aunts, or my cousins, not that they didn't love me for those reasons, but I don't think it was ever explicit um, because they're your family. So like they're supposed to, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was the first time in my life from an outside force, outside agenda, outside people that they were expressing their gratitude for me and affirmation of me outside of my performance. And I'd never experienced that before. And so I think it was pretty, it was a pretty f- profound summer for me. Like experiencing you love me for me, not for what I'm not just for what I'm doing. And I don't think I had given people the opportunity to do that before. And so, uh, anyway, ended up at sky ranch that summer. Um, had one more year, left at A&M, went back to school, got offered a full-time job to come back to sky ranch. Um, and so I was like, sure, guaranteed job after college, no interview, no resume, $20,000 a year, a hundred hours a week, sign me up. And so, um, I went and did that, uh, right out of college, uh, did that for about four years. I was the director for junior high and senior high age kids. Um, during that time, met a girl, started dating, got engaged, um, about six months into our engagement. She called me one day, said, I have something to tell you. I said, great. You know, we're switching from Target to Bed Bath & Beyond. She was like, no. She said, actually, my mom told me that if I didn't tell you that I was sleeping with somebody else, then she wasn't going to put a deposit down on our venue. I said, okay, well, so now that I know, then she'll put the deposit down. She was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, well, you tell your mom I said, thank you. And don't ever call me again. And so I think if, if the moment of me losing my scholarship in college was an awakening, if you will, of going, hey, like you can't be an asshole your whole life and assume everything is for you cause that's not going to work. I think really the next four or five years was me kind of like pendulum swinging the other way and going, you also are not going to thrive, um, by making yourself the ultimate martyr 
and, and doing whatever everybody else needs you to do for them and in sacrifice of yourself, um, that's not going to do it for you either. And so I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that what I had done originally wasn't work for the first 20 years of my life wasn't working. I knew what I was doing in the next five years also wasn't working and some, something had to change. And so, um, fast forward a few months, I ended up coming back to Dallas. Um, I left Sky Ranch. Um, I joined the pastoral staff at a church up in North Plano called Chase Oaks. Um, so I was on staff there for about three and a half years. That's when I met my wife, Sarah. Um, and she'd actually been at Sky Ranch and we had a bunch of mutual friends. So we started dating in 08. Um, we got married in July of 09. So we've been married. It was 10 years this year that we've been married. Um, about six months into our marriage, she quit her job at an architecture firm to pursue photography. Um, it was something we had like a hobby we had on the side, but nothing that we like either of us were pursuing like professionally per se. Um, but it was something she was really passionate about. And so we ended up, you know, making some changes. We moved to a small apartment. I sold my car, I bought a scooter, like, so we could live off my salary and we could, you know, she could pursue wedding photography. And, um, so, or I guess pursue photography, not to say wedding photography at that time. So that was the end of 2009. So about 10 years ago, um, we heard you either love or you hate photographing weddings. And so we were like, hey, we'll try to shoot a few weddings and see what happens. And so in 2010, we shot 10 weddings. Um, I feel real bad for those people, but they didn't pay us that much money. So it's their fault. Um, but we realized we do like weddings. We do like working together. We do like shooting together. And so um, fast forward about eight months. Uh, so middle to end of 2010. And I got offered what I thought was my dream job at the time at Chase Oaks. And so they offered me to be a teaching pastor. So it was a church of a few thousand people. Said, hey, we want you. I was 27 at the time. Um, they said, hey, we want you to teach 20 weekends a year whatever you want. It's totally up to you. They're your, your, your Sundays. Just stay here and, and teach for us full time. And so, um, I think, you know, uh, I wasn't very self-aware, but I was self-aware enough at the time to know that I was, I was an asshole. Um, and that I was way more interested in you shaking my hand when I walked off stage than I was, um, teaching you about God. Um, not that I didn't want to do that, but I just only wanted to do that if you were going to shake my hand and tell me that I was awesome. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really terrible reason to be a pastor. And so I said, Hey, like it's, I, I think I'm going to pursue this photography thing. Like I, this not, it's bad for you, bad for me. Like I, I don't need to have this job. And they said, okay, so what do you want to do? I said, I think we'll be a wedding photographer. Um, and it was more like, I don't know, but this is the only thing we have going for us. So we're just going to jump and see what happens. Um, and really, I think looking back again, I didn't have this language then, but I was tired and I had been, I had kind of been like running the metaphorical, like Christian rat race for a long time and to be the cool person, but also the Jesus person, but also the, um, you know, I always felt like I was like a half step ahead of every person I was tasked to lead or to, to teach. And it just gets exhausting after a while, you know, you feel like you you can't slow down because if you slow down, you, they're going to, they're going to lap you and then, then you're a fool. And so, um, yeah, so I think, I think I needed a break. I also think I was just ready to, I, I needed to figure out who I was. I don't know. I just wasn't, I wasn't kind of in that position. And so I ended up quitting my job January of 2011. So Sarah and I have been self-employed or freelancing, if you will, um, since January, 2011. So, um, Sarah's been self-employed for the last 10 years. I've been self-employed for the last nine. Um, we shot weddings full time for about five and a half years. So if you count 2010, so we shot weddings, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And then we had a couple of trickles, 16, but not, not intentionally. Um, so about four and a half, five years full time. We shot weddings, um, loved it, traveled the world. Other people paid for it. It was awesome. Um, we got to work together. We didn't have kids yet. So we spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. I think really for us in that process, looking at it for us, um, as, as, as much contacts and friends and communities we met, really, I think wedding photography for us was about figuring out who we were. Um, we got to spend a lot of time in counseling independently. Um, we got to find, buy a house and f- put in roots and find community and um, have accountability. And I think there's a lot of aspects about our life that we didn't have before that honestly, I was really afraid of having. That wedding photography gave us the freedom to do that. And it's something that Sarah and I talk about a lot is we had a really unique privilege that we both got to experience therapy and counseling 
And then we had the freedom to like go to counseling on a Wednesday at noon. And then we got to come home and you could lay in bed for six hours and cry and process if you needed to, because we were self-employed. And like, if I didn't have a shoot that day, then I didn't have to do, go anywhere until Saturday to shoot that wedding. So we had like four days after every counseling session to like do nothing but process that thing. So it was almost like we got 15 years of counseling in a two year period, um, which again, wasn't intentional. Like I would love to say like, oh, we did that. We did that intentionally so we could learn and we could grow. And like, no, that's not how it happened. Um, I think it just happened that way. And I think as looking back, like, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really thankful for the opportunity that we had to be able to do that and to be able to spend that time that way. And so um, we found out we were pregnant with our son, Ezra who's a little over four now, um, in early 2015, so like February of 15. And, um, really Sarah and I were like, do we want to really want to shoot weddings, 40 weddings a year for the rest of our life and have kids? And we were both like, no. And so, um, she said, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And I didn't have a very good answer, but I said something along the lines of, if I could spend the rest of my life attempting to become an expert at anything, I'd want to be a people expert. Like if I could, if I could take you know, if I could take my life experience, hence me giving you, you know, 12 minutes of my life, if I, if I could marry that with, you know, um, eight years of ministry, which I just define as deeply caring for people and marry that with now, you know, 10 years of entrepreneurship, if I could put all those things together, um, that's what I would want to do. I'd want to dedicate my time to helping people understand who they are, what that means, why that matters and, and how to have clarity in, in themselves. And she said, okay, I think you should do that. I said, great. Um, so, um, I started this business, um, which I always like to say, I launched this business early 15, but we all know that just means I've said on Facebook that I had a new Squarespace website, um, um, <laughs> hashtag freelancing. And so, um, you go check out the site and let me know what you think. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, also contact me. And if you have any money, pay me for anything you think I could do for you. Um, it's basically what happened early 15, but really started like in the creative entrepreneur space because that was where I had, you know, um, that was where I already had connections. And so I was able to go to creative and go, Hey, like, did you see the brand that we have? Did you like it? And do you want one like that? then you should hire me and I can help you get one like that, which was a true statement, but it, that was kind of my only pitch. And so that was uh, 15. So it was almost five years ago. Um, really in the last five years, a lot has changed and morphed and the business has grown and developed and rebranded like five times and six websites. And naturally, heck it's always evolving. But I think really where I am now feels the most true. Like it feels the, the closest representation of me and what I want to do and kind of how the, the life I want to build. And, and so it's taking, I'm 36 and I've been in self-employed for 10 years. And I feel like literally today is the closest I've ever been to feeling like, okay, I think this might be what I've been trying to say for 36 years, you know, and 10 as an entrepreneur. And so, um, and so now we have a, we have a little boy, Ezra, who's four, a little over four, um, a little girl, Marlo May. Um, she turned one in August. So she's um, not quite 18 months. She's about 16 months old. Um, my wife, Sarah, um, I have this business. It's just rockygarza.com. Um, uh, my wife has an interior design company, so she does residential and commercial interior design. Uh, we have a house in East Texas called the wild house. So we kind of operate that as an Airbnb and, um, yeah, we live, we live here in Oak Cliff and, um, yeah, we've spent the last 10 years, I think both of us trying to uncover who we are and what that means. Um, how do we create a life that we believe in, that we don't jeopardize the things that we value in sake of fortune, fame, or money. Um, and, and try to stay, stay, have a foundation that we can stand on no matter what happens and say, this is ultimately what we believe. And so this is the thing that's most important to us. And then how do we create a business um, and generate revenue? Because at the end of the day, let's all be honest, every human being cannot function without money. And so um, most of us are self-employed because we're looking for money and autonomy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think for us, it's kind of, that's been the journey that we're, we've been on. And I think we, I would easily say we are consistently on is going, okay, how do we build a life that we believe in, um, that has an effect on our family and on those around us that allows us to have the autonomy we're looking for and create enough income to do the things that we desire to do, to live a life that is both meaningful and generous and, um, intentional. And that gives us the, a sense of adventure and, 
uh, simultaneously doesn't make us jerks. Um, and again, like by no means to money is not bad. I like it. I want it. I want more of it. Um, but not at the expense of people. And so I think really for me and you know, all that, and I would, again, if, if we, if we recorded this four months ago, I don't think I would have said this cause I didn't have this language, but I think looking at my life now and, and, and going back through the kind of the, the history, if you will, um, I think I've spent a lot of my time early on in my life trying to conquer things. Like, what do I need to conquer? How do I conquer relationships? How do I conquer a girl? How do I conquer a friend? How do I conquer a business? How do I conquer a sermon? Like, how do I, how do I achieve and get to the top and wear the crown, right? Like, how do I show that I've won? And I think really for me now, I feel like my life is transitioning more into cultivation and less conquering. Um, I don't think that we were designed to conquer. Um, I think that, um, I think at the, at, at the root of us as individuals, I believe we were designed to cultivate. Like, I think we were designed for less and smaller and harder work, but better fruit um, for, for a smaller group of people. And I don't think we were designed for what we experience now and our, the, the opportunity we have now. And I don't think that means that it's all bad and negative and I'm not hating <clears throat> on social media. Like I'm like literally recording this right now so I can put it on a platform. I'm going to sell somebody later. So I, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the game. Like I'm not right, saying yeah, I'm yeah. the game. Same. I mean, this, I mean, part of the reason I'm doing this is like, uh, it's an opportunity to sit down with a bunch of different people and right. it's kind of a networking tool. Yeah, exactly. And- exactly. So like, I'm not, I'm not knocking any of those parts. But, but I, but I don't want the end to be conquering. I want the end to be cultivation. I want the end to be a space where like sometimes cultivation means you like, you got to get out the plow and you got to unearth some things and you got to dig up the dirt and Mm -hmm. it's hard and it's crusted and there's weeds and like, it's not pretty. And if it hasn't rained in a few years, it's dusty and nasty and you go home dirty every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes cultivation is wonderful because you've done the work and you put it in and you've sowed the seeds, you planted it, you've watered it. And like some days you're just picking strawberries right off their vine and eating them in the middle of the field. And it feels like wonderful, right? but all those pieces together are part of cultivation. Um, and I think if that's my role, both as a business owner, but I think as a husband and as a father and as a friend, I think it ultimately is, it is, it is cultivating. It is not my job to conquer my son. I never want my child to do something because his dad said, do that. And the fear that I am the King and he is subservient to me means he did it. I don't, I think that, I think that robs him of his humanity. I think it robs him of his identity and individualism. Um, I think there's a role we all play in our family. Um, and sometimes when dad says, stop, don't run in the parking lot. It's because I don't want you to get creamed by a car. I don't think that's conquering. I think that's cultivated. I'm trying to show him something, but I think me getting mad because it took him 27 seconds longer to put his shoes in his room because he wanted to get a truck to put him in a truck to drive the truck to his room. Um, that's him being him and conquering says, no, get over here, pick him up and take him now because I said so, as opposed to saying, Hey, can you put these in your room? Sure. And then let him put him in his room however he wants to. Why does it have to be my way? Um, now, is it easy? No. Do I fail? Literally every day, yes. But I think for me, thinking through like that phrase, I feel like is something that comes back over and over and over. And I really think is set a precedent for kind of how I see everything, how I see people, how I see business, how I see my business, how I see faith, how I see friends. All of it is going. Um, am I looking to achieve something here because I want to conquer it and I want to say that I won? Or am I looking to, for something to be achieved? because I'm willing to put in the effort to cultivate it. And so that probably means I have less things and less people and less friends and less opportunity per se to do that because I'm putting in more effort. But I don't think that means that it's bad. Um, It's not as sexy and it doesn't get you as many followers. But I think the impact, at least from my perspective, is greater um, because sometimes uh, you got to get your your own hands dirty in your own metaphorical garden, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I I think that's what we were made for. I think that's the space where we're made to thrive. So thanks for enduring that story. <laughs> yeah, dude, thanks uh, for sharing. What, uh, have you always, 
or like what what happened where you flipped from the conquering to the cultivation kind of yeah you know i don't know if i could say that this this something happened that was a flip per se like ooh, one day i was conquered the next day i was cultivate as much as um i have always deeply desired let me go back a step I think my ability to see cultivation now is because it's the single thing I think I've longed for the most in my own life. Now, again, I couldn't have told you that when I was 15 or when I was 20 or 25. I probably couldn't even told you that when I was 30. Maybe I could have said it, but it would have sounded terrible. It would have been mm-hmm. not eloquent. I think, I think it's the thing that I've longed for. Like, you know, this, this Christmas, f- five days ago, uh, we, my family, my family and my wife and my kids we were together and, we went to my dad's house on Christmas day cause we were out at the wild house, which is near him. And I texted him that night and I said, Hey, I just want you to know, thanks for today. Like, um, I love you, care about you. And I just want you to know, like today was a really significant day for me because this is the first moment in my life that I can remember that I have seen you and spent time with you on Christmas day in my life. I'm 36 and I've never seen my dad on Christmas day that I can remember. And so like some of that, it's like, oh man, that's so sad. It's so terrible. You're like, and I'm like, no, it's not sad. It's, if I look at it, I'm like, that's what a win. Like what a win to go, like how much effort and toil has been put into the relationship with my father for both of us, not just me, for both of us. That like, it was totally normal for us to have a day where we got to spend some time together on Christmas day, which it, sure. Is it just another day? Yeah. Was it just a Wednesday? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it just, but I think the significance, especially given my life around that is is a lot. And the fact that that's the case, like it's pretty unique. And yeah. so, um, I think, I think because it's something I've longed for, for so long, given my experience, I think I've been, I think I was again, part nature, part nurture. Like, I think there's a part of me that was designed for this. Um, and I think all of us are, but me specifically. And I think in that, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe it's a privilege I've had that I don't, that I'm unaware of. But I feel like I, I had a really unique, I, I have a really unique life in that I've had the privilege of living as a white male in America because I look like a white dude. Yeah. Um, I also have had the privilege when, when appropriate to be a, a Latino in America because my legal name is Gilberto Garza Jr. Gilberto Garza Jr. is my name. Rocky's not even my name anywhere. It's just the name I was given. So like I have, I've had like this white, this ability to like live as a white, the privilege of living as a white male which means I get to go on stage in corporate settings and say whatever I want and everybody claps because I can. The privilege of being a Hispanic male when appropriate um, that like probably got in the schools and scholarships and things because my name was Gilberto Garza Jr. And it was 99, 2000, which at that point in time, like if you were a Hispanic male trying to get into college, everybody said yes. Great. Also like, but not really like taken in by the Hispanic community because I don't, I don't know enough Spanish to be fluent. I lived with white people. Um, and I don't have any Latino culture actually in my life. And so like, I'm not actually a Mexican though. So I can't like, I got a few Mexican friends, but not enough to like have that as a culture. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends and roommates were African-American growing up. Um, and so like, I, f- I think I've had this like really unique space that I do think is specific to me. Um, I had the privilege of like everything I needed and wanted financially and mon- materialistically because my grandparents could and they wanted to. And so they did. Um, and so I think I look at all that and go, uh, I think I used all of that um, you know, let's say there's two sides to that coin. I think I used a lot of that growing up probably until I was in my twenties to my advantage. However, I could spend that to get what I wanted so that I could conquer and win. I did. 
right? Like if I needed to be white to get that girl, I did. If it helped to be a little bit Latino to get the scholarship, I did. If it helped to like show that I have rhythm and I could dance at the club to get so-and-so, I did. I think what changed upon, for me, like getting married, having some time, really the singular thing I can point it to is counseling. Like I think the un- counseling and recovery and the kind of like the three or four year working of like intense internal, like unearthing of my own self to like look at it on the table and go, what does this actually mean? I think it, it forced me to look at all those things I was using to my advantage and also go, but what are, what are the other sides of all those? Because the other side of that coin is what everybody else in the world in each of those groups is experiencing. And so how can I empathize, even though I don't really have any empathy, how can I empathize as best I can with each of those arenas and go, what is it that's been missing? Oh, I see what's been missing. The reason I have been successful as each of these individual parts is because I've had the freedom and privilege to conquer things as that person. When the flip side is that group has been conquered and oppressed underneath. And so the only way to regenerate or bring that back to life is through cultivation. And so again, and, I, and I'm still in that language from somebody else. I, I didn't even come up with the word conquer and cultivate. I heard somebody else came in an event that I did and said, it, and I was like, shit, I'm writing that down. <laughs> Holding on to that one. And so, uh, but again, I think, again, I think I don't, I don't have a moment to go to to say like, oh, this is what happened. And this switched and flipped for me to be able to say like, all of a sudden this is now different. I think what it was for me is the ability to have, to like remove myself enough to look at everything that was occurring and go, okay, what is my role? What is my place? And then what impact or influence do I want to have here? I don't think, and I don't say influence like Instagram. I think every human being has the ability to impact and influence those around them. We're all influenced and impacting each other, whether we actually have a conversation or not. We don't, yeah, look, yeah. Right? We don't look at someone. It, we just impacted them. We told them they're not worth being looked at yeah, right? yeah, Every, yeah. everywhere. It's not, yeah, I feel like it influence and what that is kind of, we're in an era where that word can be a little confusing as to what it means, where people think, oh, I'm an influencer. Like, oh, you have influence. Like, right. as if like, almost interchangeable with clout. Right. right. Where it's not that at all. And really where that term has come from is the fact that somebody has influence in that they can persuade or influence somebody or, or whatever to something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, pe- the people in my life or- that I have the greatest influence on are in my home, bar mm-hmm. none. And mm-hmm. it will never not be that way. I don't care how many stages I get on. I don't care how many thousands of people will be to be in the audience. I don't care how many people are on my platform. I don't care. I will not have an impact and influence greater than I do with my wife and with my children ever in my life. So for me, this is, this is a Rocky statement. This is not, I'm not saying this about human beings. Then it's hard for me to make a decision to give energy, more energy to something, i.e. my business than it is my wife and my children. Because I don't believe, no matter how much revenue is generated, that, I, that there's a greater place for me to spend my time than with them. And, and is there, is there a, a way to do it um, for every individual that makes sense to them? Sure. Is there a way to do it with every person that feels right to them? Sure. Like there's, this is not a, there's no cookie cutter way to do it. There's people out there making millions of dollars and they're all doing something different. There's out there people making $7 and they're all doing something different. That's not, there's not a way to go. If you'll follow these seven steps, it'll work. So if people tell you that, don't buy that. That's not, it's not true. Yeah. No, it, I feel like some of that stuff is really more of people taking the things that worked for them and kind of going like, well, after the fact, in hindsight, if I look back at what I did, right. these are the five things that I did. That probably had the greatest impact on what I was doing. Right. Right. Now, do you do those things? Will they work? Maybe. But right. I feel like at some level, it's kind of 
learning the steps without understanding why you do those things. And 100%. so, and so it's like being like, oh yeah, well you, you know, you build a house with a, you know, what, what tools do I need? How do I build a house? Well, I used a hammer and I had a saw and it's like, okay, cool. But if you, you're like, okay, cool. I've got a hammer. I'm going to go do this. But if you don't understand what it means to like put wood and nails together and to drive that nail into the wood, doesn't do any good. It doesn't do you any good. Nope. If you don't understand the process behind it and why you're using that saw and that hammer. Yep. Uh, I kind of want, I'm interested to kind of go back to some of the other business ventures you've had because I've always found it interesting kind of observing you from a, a little bit of a distance. Like I feel like we know each other kind of well, but also kind of like not very well. Right, right, like right. we've been in same communities and circles for a long time. You know, we were both members at Weld years ago. And so, I mean, I guess we met probably 2013, I think. Probably. 2012, 2013. So it's been six, seven years. And in that time, I've seen you go from the photography business to what you're doing now, which we call what identity mapping more or less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you were doing that for like individuals, for freelancers, at least from what I saw more so than you were like bigger companies and organizations. And so it's like, you've had this kind of like almost this like flux of like, well, now I'm kind of doing this. Now I'm kind of doing this where there's always this kind of like, I wonder what Rocky's up to now. (laughs) And it almost seems like sometimes it almost seems like you like pivot overnight Yep. where it's like, Oh, last month he was a wedding photographer and now he doesn't talk about that anymore. And now he's just doing this thing full time yep. and this other thing. Yep. And first, I know that that's not the case. It's not a like, yeah. oh, it's just like a quick yeah. pivot. Like there's a but lot I mean, of behind the scenes work that goes uh, yeah, on. Yeah, but I would also say there is also a lot of truth to your your view from the outside of saying it's a quick pivot. I mean, Sarah and I had a conversation. Uh, we found out we were pregnant on Valentine's Day 2015 by March 1st of that year. So within two weeks. We had said, do we want to do this and have kids? And we both said, no. She said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do this. She said, I think you should do that. I said, great. And by April 1st of that year, Sarah and Rocky, Sarah and Rocky.com deleted. Like, so you just ripping the bandaid off. I just gone. History didn't exist anymore. We'll shoot the rest of the weddings we have booked. You no longer can find us and hire us to book weddings. Okay. So what it's, what's like, I mean, what are some of the thoughts kind of like going through your head in that process and how, like, cause a lot of people would be really nervous about that sure. as far as like, shit, how am I going to make money? How am yep. I going to, where's my security? Where's like, yep. uh, to you to be like, oh, no, we're not going to yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. I will say there is a, there is something about, um, and, and, and I, I'm going to call it 75% good. Okay. So okay. there's 25% of this that probably is not wise. Not probably that, that I know for a fact is not wise, but it's who I am. And thankfully it's, it's, partly who my wife is. And so this is how we live. I have always had the belief there is a way to make money. Like worst case scenario, I go get a job like everybody else and get it and go and go to work. Right? Like now I have been very fortunate that like my first job was as a camp director. So like, yes, you went to the office at a summer camp, but it was all relative to like, come in at nine ish, leave at four ish or mm-hmm. come in at eight and leave at three ish or work from home. Or you're on the road for three weeks traveling at college. Like it was all relative, right? Like then I went to work at a church 
and, um, and, and just to like drive the thought back in the ground that we already know is true. You go in at nine ish and you leave at four ish. And like, as long as you're doing your job based on whatever the criteria is of success, you do that. And there's a, fl- you want to go see your grandma that day? Go see your grandma. You don't, don't like, it's a lot of autonomy. Mm-hmm. And then we've been self-employed since then. And so like, I really never have had like, you got to go to work at this time. They expect this from you. You do these things. You're going to check with your boss, make sure that like, you get your performance review and you get your bonus. Like I literally have never experienced that in my life. You're just like, well, it's always worked out. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to yeah. figure and I, and out I, and the process. Like I believe, right. it's gonna, I believe it can happen. I believe I can, yeah, the money I, is I there believe at the end of the day, I can go convince someone to pay me for something. Even if that means I can convince you to pay me to come and work for you and get a job and like, I'll get a job. I would imagine having, let's call it a background in convincing people to do things you want them to do your whole life or it would give you a bit of a confidence of like, man, I've been doing this for my whole life. Like I could probably keep doing it a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. But I think I also see that in everybody else. Like most of the people I see and I work with at the end of the day, what it boils down to is someone is going to come in and say, I really want to do this, but I don't know how to make it happen. And I say, you don't make it happen or you don't think that you can make it happen. And they go, no, I went to this class. I have all the things. Here's my business plan. Here's what I want to do. Here's I say, okay, okay, what are we, what are you missing? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. Well, it's definitely not going to work as long as you and I keep sitting here talking about the fact that you're not doing anything about it. You're right. (laughs) It is not going to work. But at the end of the day, how much money do you need? Like how much money do you need? Not want, not want, but need. do you need to live a life that, that is good mm-hmm. doing something you love with an immense amount of autonomy? If that's mm-hmm. what you're going for, mm-hmm. most freelancers, that's what we're going for. Like that's what we want. Right. And so, um, I think in that for me is like, okay, well, if that's the case, then how much money do, do I need? How much money do you need? Let's say right now you're living on $60,000 a year. Okay. How much money do you need though? Oh, I only need like $3,000 a month though. Okay. So that's $36,000. Yeah. Okay. So you're telling me whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're selling that you can't go find a way to make $3,000 a month. Well, what are you selling? Oh, we do this thing. Well, how much is it? Well, it's like roughly a thousand bucks. So three, three a month. You're telling me you can't go, you don't think you can find three people a month to buy that from you? Because you know there's months where seven people are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. So then two months, you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So if you sell one in that, then you're, it's like break it all the way down to like, but what do you like, what do you actually need? What is that? How much is that? What are you selling? What's the price per unit? How many units is that? How many units per month is that? Do you think you can do that? Oh yeah. Okay. What the hell? What are you waiting on then? So like we create this false sense of like, I got to make $150,000 doing this because that's what success looks like. And so to do that, I can't do that. I guess I can't do it. You got to start somewhere mm-hmm. taking the steps or like I, uh, I've also found it really interesting with you where it's like, it's not, uh, I feel like a lot of times people talk about things with such a finality of like, well, what do you do? What are you going to be as if like for the rest of their life, this right. is what that is. Cause that was a lot of where right. historically in previous generations we've kind of come from. Yep. It's like, you go to school, you get this thing, you get out like my uncle. Yep. He went and graduated from high school. Went to college for four years, graduated, worked for IBM for like 40 years yep. and retired. Yep. Yep. And like, that's it. And so, uh, I think we're in an interesting time where like I have grown up with that and seen that mm-hmm. and seen how for the last 30 years, my dad mm-hmm. has done residential replacement windows and that's mm-hmm. what he's picked to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's part of me that's like, well, what's the thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life? What is mm-hmm. the one thing? And like trying to figure that out. But then meanwhile also going, ha, ah, but I love doing all of these different things. Mm-hmm. Why do I have to pick one? How do mm-hmm. I have to pick one? Whereas with you, it's like it, it almost, 
it almost looks like you're just like trying different things. Like, oh, I'm going to do this for a few years. Oh, this is fun. Okay, cool. But it doesn't have to be for forever. And then I can like move over and I can do this other thing for a little bit and almost very not willy nilly, not lackadaisical, but just almost like a fun, playful, yeah. like, yeah, I feel free. Along. I feel free. I feel, uh, I think as I, and, and I really think it's like a driven what I even do now professionally is I, I'm, I want to help individuals see who they are outside of their profession so that they know who is going to show up to that profession. I don't uh, give a shit what the profession is. Yeah. I've been a summer camp director. I've been a pastor. I've been a wedding photographer and now I'm in a corporate speaker and a consultant. None of that, that, that shit does not go together. That is not like a, Ooh, I know follow this career path. First, start at summer camp. Second, pastor a church. Third, be a creative for like, that doesn't make any sense nah. from the right? right. Okay. Right, right. So peel back the layers. Who is the human being in all those? What did I do consistently in every one of those places? In every one of those places, I put myself in a position that I wanted to have impact and influence. I put myself in a position that says, I am willing to take the lead. Even if I don't know what I'm doing, give me the reins and tell me what direction to head. I can promise you, nonetheless, I will get us in that direction. I'm going to need some barriers, some boundaries. I'm going to need, I had a boss tell me one time, he said, as long as, because I did something really stupid at work. Um, and he said, you're not fired. He said, and I'm going to tell you this, as long as I am consistently having to pull the reins back on you and not bring out the whip, I will write a check on your behalf every time. And like, that's stuck in my head of like, okay, so I can be me and I can, I can go full force in what I'm doing. And I'm going to trust given the people that are around me and, and uh, friends and mentors and guides that are going like, to keep me in some parameter of knowing like, what's the criteria of what I'm doing? Just go. Just go and do that. Uh, and, and I think for me, my desire is to, I want to help people see who they are as a human so they have the confidence to live that out courageously every day in what it is they're doing. I don't, no one gives a shit what your profession is. I hate to break it to you. Even if you're a partner at a firm, guess what? Nobody cares except for the other partners of that firm. The guy at the coffee shop drinking coffee right now, guess what? He doesn't care about the fact that you're a partner at a firm. Nobody cares because it's not important. Now, given a, have a face-to-face conversation, does he have the opportunity to care about you as a human? Yes. Mm-hmm. But are you going to bring your human to that conversation or are you going to bring the partner of the firm to the conversation? Because if you bring the partner of the firm, nobody wants to talk to you, bro. Because nobody cares. If you bring your human to it, now all of a sudden, everything you're learning as a partner, you get to bring into your humanity and that gets to have an experience to what you do. And so now, do I get to be on a corporate stage and speak? Yep. And guess what? Every keynote starts with what I just gave all of you in the beginning of this podcast. Now, they don't get the, always the full, full extended, but Every keynote I give has 15 minutes worth of my life story before I start. Cause that's the only credibility I have. I did, I, gra- I did graduate college, but nobody cares about that anymore. I don't have an MBA. I don't have any certi- certifications or certificates. I'm not a part of any speakers guilds. I haven't sold a, mil- a business for hundred million dollars. I got nothing to bring to the table in a corporate setting that says, here's why you should listen to me. Other than let me tell you my story and how I got here. And my hope is, is that there's a part of my story that you can see in yourself and go, man, I need to think about that too. Great. Then let's talk about that. Let's talk about your human. Cause I feel like I'm pretty good at humans. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at my human. And, and, and not, I'm not saying I do it right. I'm saying I'm pretty good at being willing to look in at my human and go, that sucks. What do I do with that? Or that's wonderful and beautiful. How do I leverage that? And I want to be able to do that with other people. And so I think the freedom that you see on the outside of like, he was a wedding photographer. And then like, he didn't talk about that. He was this. And then he was, now he's like doing this. And next time I saw him, I'm like, what are you doing now? Sure. Yeah, that is true. That is, that is not a false thing. That is a real thing. <laughs> uh, but I think in that is because I think what is happening is, or at least what I'm attempting to make happen in my own life is how am I continually to cultivate, unearth and evolve m- me as a human being. And as I see clarity in that, I want to move myself in a position that that gets to be the most useful. And so like even this online platform that is, that we're launching, 
Um, and it's taken me five years to do it because I've always had this apprehension of like, yeah, but it's not as good as like me face to face. And that's a real, that's a true statement. Me online is not as good as me face to face. True. That's true about literally every human being on earth. <laughs> but does that mean that it's not good? No. Does that mean that it's not beneficial or useful? No. It's like, it's, but it's taken me five years to get to a place to go, Hey Rocky, get over yourself. You can't fix everything. And you don't have the time to care for your family, your, your wife, your kids, build a business, have friends, have community, and then be in front of every person who might want to pay you money. How are you going to scale your business and create impact? But, but my question has always been, but how do I stay true to me? Like, how do I do that and not let go of what I believe fundamentally about me and other people? And it's taken me five years to get to a place to go, you know what? I think having some content for people to get is good. And I think there are, I had a coffee this morning with a friend and he, he said, you're, he was like, what you do for people is you give them breakthrough. He was like, you can't be responsible for what they do after that, but you have to be responsible for the part. If you're willing, if they're willing to interact with you, what's the, what's the breakthrough? And he was like, and it happens on a multiple ways. It happens, it can happen on social media, it can happen in a product or on a stage or in an event or a, a workshop or there's a lot of ways to have it. Um, but he goes in that, like in all those spaces, like one, the reason it occurs is because he was like, I feel like you have to make sure that you're going to stay true to who you are as a human in all of those places. And so again, like we're making this content for this platform and it's not me in a branded polo on a green screen with a white background, giving you some like coursework. It's shot me in a chair with a cup of coffee. Like you're sitting across from me. Like I'm trying to have a conversation with you because that's the closest thing I can get to you. Me talking to you one-on-one is to film it like I'm talking to you Mm one-on-one. And so I think in all those pieces, I want to be able to come back and go, okay, both for me and then for anybody that I interact or work with. If we cannot identify who you are as a person, as a human, sitting down, still not performing, then we will never be able to discover how you can perform well. We can't. Because when you go that direction, the only gauge we have for success is somebody else's approval and doing what it is that they want you to be doing. When we go the other direction, we get to show up and be ourselves and we get to do the things we believe we were made and designed to do in the direction that we've been asked to go and hopefully we're in environments where, where, where people are pulling the reins back where they need to. They're not cracking the whip trying to get us to do something we weren't actually made and designed to do. Mm. It, I only know this about you because we've had this conversation a little bit through uh, when we were doing the identity mapping with all the other WAC space members. Yeah. Um, but I know that you are big on focusing on, for lack of language and terminology in my head right now, um, on more on fact versus feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I remember with me personally, kind of the last couple of years, uh, a lot of the struggles with myself is that like, well, I enjoy being here and I enjoy being planted and I enjoy having routine, but I also like that some days, but then other days I'm like, man, I really want to travel. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I like, it gets hot in Texas in the summers and I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And so my feelings kind of like change from day to day to day. And it makes it harder for me to, um, to make any decisions and take any actions with any longevity sometimes mm-hmm. because on some days I would start out and go like, okay, well, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I want to do. I, I want to sell all my stuff. I want to, I want to live out of a van with my dogs and just travel around. Mm-hmm. And so then I start like, you know, packing up gear and consolidating stuff and like pricing stuff out. Okay. Here's kind of what I can sell stuff for. And then the next day I'm like, oh man, but you know, I've always really wanted to have my own studio and now I have all that. I just need to stay here and be a little bit more patient. And then like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in too much of a rush. I'm just being impatient. 
And so then I'm like, oh no. So then I start setting stuff back up and go back and forth and back and forth. And kind of what you did, and I guess that breakthrough for me kind of a little bit, it was been where you talked about how, um, like kind of like picking a destination or like, okay, well, where is the thing you want to go to and what do you want to do? And then going like, well, it's this place over here and then going, okay, cool. Well, if you're, if you're going based off a of feeling, then that can be really wishy-washy. But if you go based off of, I'll call it fact, maybe you can give me better language mm. for it, but fact or like whatever, then you go, well, I want to go to this place. And today my feelings are saying this other thing. But if I look at this roadmap of where I want to go, it's this thing. And I can't get there unless mm-hmm. I like push against this feeling and yep. just like follow yep. this thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would definitely would say, um, maybe I would, the only, the only thing I would change is maybe I would just replace the word fact for like reality. Okay. Um, because I think sometimes reality, if in fact that is, it's true, what is real, we could say that it's factual or it's a fact, but I don't, I think the word fact, um, negates emotion, but reality includes emotion. Mm. It, it kind of includes both. Yeah. Right. So like, um, I think, so one thing goes back one step and then we'll come back forward again. So the, to me, the feelings and emotions are different. Okay. So feeling, um, you feel with your hands, you don't have emotions with your hands, right? So right, right. feelings. So your body has feelings. I would tell people we get feelings in one of three places when it's like things are intense. Right, you get a feel in the back of your throat, like you just ate a sour patch kid, right? In the mm-hmm. back of your right in the back of your cheek, you get a feeling in your throat, like you think you might throw up, but it's like, why is my throat so tight right now? I don't understand. Or you get a feeling in your stomach. Some of us get feeling in all three at the same time, and we don't know what to do. Uh, and I think that's a, that's those are feelings. Those are not emotions. Those are feelings. Your body feels something. Sometimes we just feel really bloated, and we don't know why. Well, that's a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a feeling. Now it could be attached to an emotion, but they're they're different. Emotions are, are the, the way in which our brain is processing our feelings and then it elicits a response in us that is attached to words that we've called they are emotional. That's our physical response to our feelings, to our emotions. Most of us um, have combined those two things. And so our feelings are emotions, our emotions are our feelings. So we feel bad and so we say our emotions are bad. Or we feel good and so our emotions are good. And I think you can feel good and have bad emotions. I think you can feel uh, good and have bad emotions. I think what you're saying is you would have an idea about something you wanted to do. You would have, uh, I would say you weren't having a feeling. <clears throat> I would say you were having an emotion about it that would lend the other way. And then you're like, oh man, I got to go over there now because I have this emotion about it. When the feeling is still for the original destination, your body is still saying to you, do this thing. Yep. The emotion though says, oh, but then we, we throw in a bunch of external factors and that elicits an emotion, not a feeling, it elicits an emotion that we're like, but I'm going to miss all these things. Now what happens is that emotion creates a new feeling in our body. Oh, we get sad. So our emotions are like, oh, I miss these people, community, rooted, friends, wax space, all these things. And that elicits a new feeling. Well, then that feeling of our weight in our body is like, oh, it doesn't feel very good to think about those things going away. That's true. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we have feelings that don't make our body feel great. That are a response to make us think about something to go. Well, that doesn't mean they're going away. It means you can still get to where you want to go. You're just going to work extra hard to maintain these things that are over here. It's just not going to be as easy. It doesn't mean they're going to go away. It just means they're not as easy. And so I think for me, I want to be able to be the unbiased third party in people's lives to be able to go, okay, tell me everything, lay it all out there. And then I want to be that like, push and pull, right? Tell me about this. Ah, I don't believe that. Say it again. It's the wrong word. 
nope, not that. Okay, we're getting closer. How does that feel? And people smile every time. It feels right. Okay, so when it feels right, it means we're getting closer because all of a sudden it's not just an emotion, it's a feeling. It's, it's, more, it's more human, it's more innate. Okay, so let's, let's, put, let's let that live there. Let's come back to that. Tell me about this other thing. What do you think about most on my to-do list? Keep going, tell me about that. Well, like, you know, I want my life to be ordered and planned and so I feel like I'm always thinking about what I'm gonna do next. Okay, tell me, tell me, tell me about that. Well, like, for me, whenever I, uh, like, my ability to, like, create a list and know what I'm doing next keeps me on track so I can make sure, like, things are in control because I don't wanna be out of control. Okay, tell me about that. Well, like, for me, when things are out of control, I'm afraid if I can't control it, then I'm gonna let somebody down. Tell me about that. Well, I don't wanna let anybody down because I really don't wanna disappoint anybody. Well, tell me about that. Well, like, when I disappoint people, like, I just feel like I'm not worth very much and, like, I just hate, I hate people being disappointed in me. Okay, hard pause. So the question I ask you is, what do you think about most? Your initial response was my to-do list. Your final response was, I don't want to be a disappointment to people. So what you think about most is, how can I make sure that I don't disappoint other people? Is that true? Yes. Okay. That is where we have to, that, that, that's where we have to start. You can't start with your to-do list. Your to-do list is the third symptom to manage that feeling of, for the love of mercy, please don't be disappointed in me. That, that in fact is actually running your life. Every decision you make is reactive because you're afraid you're going to disappoint someone. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think for me, that's the space I want to live in. That has nothing to do with business. That has nothing to do with you making more money. That has nothing to do with how we're going to generate better strategy for you to have a better social campaign. It's not good. None of those things. That's not my, that's not, that's not where I live. Uh, it, it's the space where I want to be able to go, Hey, tell me what it is you're seeing, thinking, feeling. And then how do we work ourselves to a place that like see for what is real? What is reality? Reality is, is that I am so fearful that I'm going to disappoint someone. Okay. That is both fact and feeling, right? That is both, that's, that's reality. Yeah. They live together. So then what do we do with that? Why is that the case? Why are you so afraid of that? Who lied to you and told you your disappointment? I don't know. No, think about it. Like for real, maybe it's not like a literal person, but like what experiences in your life have led you to think that you're a disappointment? I just feel like my whole life, like my older sibling was like, kind of always getting in trouble and had a lot of attention and my younger sibling was got to do whatever they wanted. They were the baby of the family. And so like, I just always felt like I had to prove like, cause the attention, cause I felt like I was kind of missed my whole life. Okay. So there's a narrative of being a middle child and what that experience was like for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's unpack that a little. Uh, what is the narrative? I think there's two narratives that work in everybody's life all the time. The narrative is which one is the stories have been told to us about us. That's like the things people have told us our whole life about who we are. And then the narrative is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. It's just the way we talk to ourselves. Those two things, I think, have the most direct impact on everything that we do in our life, right? Because we're, they're, they're always competing or they're friends. So, uh, Rocky, let's use metaphorical person we've been talking about. We'll come back to me in a minute. Uh, metaphorical person. Uh, can you just do it right? Like you're always messing things up. Can, can, you just not, can you just not always be asking me so many questions? Why do you always have to know everything? Can you just, right? Like mm -hmm. this language, that's the story that's been told to yep, us about yep. us. That's this disappointment. So what's, guess, then guess what's the story we've been telling ourselves? You're not going to do it right. Oh, come on, person. You're, you're, you're failing again. Oh, look at their face. You, can, you let them down. Now we have these two narratives at play that I used to think used to like run parallel, like two-dimensional lines on a piece of paper. And anytime they intersected, it became a lowercase t truth, meaning it doesn't mean it's real or true, but we believe it to be true and we live that way. So, uh, man, you're always doing things wrong. Self says, oh, look at their face. You, you, you let them down. Guess what we believe now? We're a disappointment. So how do we manage that? We go, well, I need to be more structured, more list, and make sure I get everything done every day so no one can say that I'm a disappointment. Not, that's not, that's, that, is, that is reality, but it's not true. So we have to unpack that. We have to go, okay, we have to break that. I can't control what people say to me about me. 
I can very much control what I say to myself about myself. If I'm willing to do the work to unpack what is actually real, what is real is I'm not a disappointment and I don't actually have enough power to disappoint anybody. I carry that though, because I just want you to love me because I want to be loved because I'm a human being. So I give you all the power every time and I let you put your shit on my plate and put it over here and, and you ask me to eat it and I put it in my backpack and I do it willfully because I'm afraid if I don't, then you're going to be disappointed and you're disappointed you don't love me. And if you don't love me, then I'm going to be alone and I don't want to be alone anymore. But instead, we have to be able to go, okay, it's not a two-dimensional alliance on a piece of paper. It looks more like DNA. And these two narratives are going to be intertwined. However old you are, that's how long those narratives are going to be intertwined. And so it's going to take the work to go acknowledge what the feeling and the emotion is behind that intersection every time we feel that. And when we do, what are we going to do when that happens to unbreak the intersection and create a new narrative? I've told myself for five years, you're a fraud and a fake if you make an online platform because you're like every other schmo out there who's trying to sell a product that's bullshit. Okay, well, rewind. Do I think that my product is bullshit? No. Do I think that I'm a schmo? No. Do I deeply care about people and want their life to be impacted and changed and them to see the reality of who they are? Yes. So why have I attached a false narrative to an online platform? It's just a fucking, just, a, just the internet. Do I now hate all of the internet? No. Okay, so then how do I change a narrative that says I can create an online platform that I believe is real and good and challenging and true to me? And that doesn't mean it has to fall into the false narrative I've been told my whole life that if you become that guy, well, we know who those guys are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not real, right? It's everywhere. It's in everything. It's in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So I think a part of that is uh, the work that I want to, that inspires me, the work that, that I thrive in, the work that I want to be involved in for myself and, and for the you know, people that I, and clients, friends, family, whatever, is I want to be in that space. I want to be in that space. I, we got it. And it requires, I say it requires quality and quantity of time, right? It requires the ability for us to spend quality time together, meaning with no distractions, like let's for real, get in it, get in it. And quantity, meaning it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to spend some hours doing it. That's why identity mapping one-on-one -on -one is four hours. That's why identity mapping with the team is eight hours uh, because it takes time. Like we got to have both because in that time we can uncover and uncover and unpack and uncover and unpack and uncover. And in the end, once you get tired enough, literally, uh, that's part of the goal is I'm trying to wear you down because when you get worn down, a lot of us are like, you know what? Screw it. This is what I think. Okay, now ah. we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Because we've built up this reserve for so long about this story, these narratives that we have to protect and hold because someone's going to get us. When in fact, no one's out to get you. You know why? Because everybody in the world is only thinking about themselves. Yeah. They're not worried about them. I, I, tell, I, I I've, in the last few years, I've started to kind of realize that more and it's hard to get, it's hard to break out of it because I'm thinking about myself and mm -hmm. I'm worried about myself mm -hmm. and worried about what are all these other people thinking about me whenever we're all wondering, what are these other people thinking about me? Yeah. And they're not, they're not, they're not really, they're not, they don't really give a shit that much. Nope. Uh, so, so practically speaking, how do you keep yourself in, in that headspace where you're not falling prey to yep. like yep. false yep. narratives? Yeah. So one, I think about it a lot. Now, partly I have a really, I have a really, I have an advantage because it is my profession. So I do it all day, every day with people, which forces me to think about myself all day, every day. Cause my examples and stories are me right? It's not a metaphorical person. Typically, just like now, I'm like, my, here's, here's what that means. Let me tell you about yesterday in my life, you know? So I think uh, my profession gives me the freedom and opportunity. That I think about it constantly because I, because, my, because my credibility is my life. Um, I think secondly, um, there are people that I surround myself with and, and I, and I, I hope that doesn't come across and sound do dopey, but like my community and my friends, 
like I have to have people. I know as cheesy as it is that we see on Instagram or on a meme or on Pinterest or whatever, you know, like you're the sum parts of the five people that are closest to you or whatever. You know, we see that all the time. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but, that, you that, are. But, but you are but because those are the voices you have speaking and right. those are the other side of that track. Yes. And so I think the, the stories people are telling you about you, it's not just past. It is all, it's constant. The people in my life now with that, I had coffee this morning. I feel so jazzed. It's a guy I love and appreciate. And every time I talk to him, he's like, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. And here's what I think. And here's, what I think here's what you could do. And every time I leave, I'm like, yes, because it affirms a narrative I've said to myself that I really believe, but I feel like I've missed that's not being said someplace else. And so, um, I think you gotta be willing to be open. You gotta be willing to be vulnerable on some extent. And like, don't read that as like some crazy thing. I just define vulnerability as creating the opportunity to see and be seen by others. You gotta be willing to set yourself down and go, I want you to see me for me. If you don't like it, it's okay. I'm going to be a little sad, but like, I'm also going to be okay. Cause I'm probably never going to see you again, but I, but I want you to see me and I, and I want to, and I want to do my best to see you. I don't want to, I don't want to come in with a preconceived notion and go, Oh, like, Oh, I see like that hat beard and glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I know who you are. When literally the thing, here's one thing about you that I think is awesome is that you also are like literally the opposite, like in your soul of the preconceived notion people are going to have based on your appearance. Oh yeah. And like, I think that is, I think, I think that is the most awesome part about you. It makes it so hard though. <laughs> now, yeah, because here's, because here's what's required. It requires both quality and quantity of time with yep. you to get to that place, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think all of us are that way, but same. Like, uh, I love the fact like you and I are look currently very, very different on the outside, which means when we walk in a room, people are, are gonna think two very different things about us. When probably at the root of it, we probably both want very similar things for our life and the people around us and how we wanna spend our time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so again, so are we willing to create opportunities to both see and be seen or are we not? And if we're not, what happens is, is that we all walk in the room wondering what everybody's thinking about us and none of us actually see anybody else because we're only thinking about ourselves, mm. and then we miss the entire boat. And so it, it's, it's, you gotta be able the, the phrase I use is like, you have to be able to stand unapologetically in who you are. And what I mean, I'm not saying being a dick. I'm not saying, don't, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying stand, stand unapologetically in who you are, meaning be confident that who you are is good and is beautiful it is, it is uh, with intent and with purpose, trust. Trust who you are is good. And be fully aware that your neighbor is not your competition and your own purpose. Like you gotta be able, to, I gotta be able to stand up and be me and also know that I am not competing with you for my life. We can all win. Everybody can win. There's not a, there's not a, there's not, there's a, not a, sca- a scarcity. No, there's a scarcity there's a, mentality. There's not a finite it's... amount of a winning. Now mm. there's a finite amount of winning if everybody wants a Lambo. There's a finite amount of winning if everybody wants a private jet. There's a fi- because there's only so many of those. Yeah. There's no, right? There's a, yeah. there, is, there is a limit to that. I'm not convinced that's what everybody wants though. Yeah. Especially whenever you take into consideration like all the things that come with that. It, like it, it seems really cool, but. But it's not. Maybe it's not. It's, f- maybe for you it's not. Maybe for them it is. Hey, love it. I actually enjoy watching an Instagram story every once in a while where a dude is driving his Lambo. I think it's cool. I think Lamborghinis are cool. I think they're really cool cars. I don't have a desire to have one personally, but I like that he has one so I can see what it's like. Mm-hmm. So like own it. If you want mm-hmm. a jet, get a jet. Like I don't, that's. But don't do it because somebody, because you think somebody else will like you for it or because you think like do it because you like actually want to do it. Because by the time you get a jet along the way, you're going to create enough people that hate you for the fact that you actually got there and got a jet that I'm not convinced you by yourself at 30,000 feet is actually the thing that you were going for. Yeah. Damn, dude. That's good. So, and again, 
that's not, that's not knocking it. <clears throat> I know. I, I mean, I have people that I know that are, have incredible businesses. They help people and literally they bought a small plane because they fly five days a week and it is more cost effective for them to get in a plane with their team of four and go location, location and do their coaching than it is to get, go to the airport and get on the Southwest flight every time. Yeah, I get it. Like f- f- forget, forget the post when you walked into your private plane logistically makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And to see your wife and your kid more, cause you got to come home direct after every event you can go, you, you, you can live in, I don't know, you can live in Dallas and you can go to Houston and you can go to Tennessee and you can go to Chicago and you can go to Florida and you can all do those in a day trip because it, because it's a three hour flight. So it's like drive there three hours, do your four hour event, drive home three hours. It was an eight hour day and you left at eight and came home at five and you were in a different state across the U S okay. Mm-hmm. I'm with that. Mm-hmm. Say a great, mm-hmm. fantastic. I'm not going to mind someday if I can fly that way too, but, but the, but, but the intent to do it so I can show it so that I can like be on the gram by myself. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't solve a problem. It's, and it's, and it's very, uh, it feels like fast food is kind of 100%. more and more how I get down to, to where like, that's the closest, that's the closest, um, like correlation I can make where, you know, I feel like a lot of people, we have these feelings of like, oh, fast food. Oh man, it gets like, it looks so good. I saw the commercial or I saw that billboard or, or like, man, remember all those times and let's, and you go eat it and you're like, ah, oh, this is not really, yep. this is really not so great. Yep. Like it was cool for the first few seconds and yep. now it tastes bad. And then the next day, like, I don't feel so great. Yep. And that's a lot of times what it seems like to me whenever I try for the social recognition. Yep and doing it for the gram. It's just yep. like very empty and very like, Oh, well that was cool. Now yep. what? Yep. Um, I know you need to run. Um, but kind of, I guess just to kind of wrap stuff up, um, because this is a podcast about freelancing mm-hmm. and you have a, a wide array of experience in different, what mm-hmm. I would call different freelance fields mm-hmm. to an extent. Mm-hmm. What, um, in the last few minutes, what do you feel like are some of the biggest like things that you have learned from your experiences yeah. that if, that if you were talking to you know, yourself 15, 10 to 15 years ago, starting out that you would yeah. go, Hey, here are the things that you really should know. Yeah. Uh, number one, you should know exactly how much money you need and your goal for your first two years should be to make that amount of, amount of money, whatever it is you need. Because I think, uh, the idea that you can have a quick fix, have perfect autonomy, work 15 hours a week, uh, make a hundred thousand dollars, do what you want, buy what you want. And everyone's just going to come and hire you is not real. It's work. It's effort. Now I'm not, I'm not on the, I'm not in the hustle culture. I'm not in the hustle and grind and grit culture. I think that's a waste of, I don't think that's, I think that's stupid. Uh, but it's going to be work. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to put in energy. And so put in energy in the places you want. So figure out how much money you need, go make that amount of money. Uh, so that's step one. I would say step two is, um, if you are not investing both time and resources into knowing and understanding who you are as a human as much or more than you are your business, uh, I'm not convinced that your business is going to work in the end because I think you're going to continually chase a rabbit that you don't actually want and then you're going to Mm -hmm. catch it and then you're going to realize why do I catch this thing that I don't actually want. And so I think, again, uh, if you're, if you're a creative and you're a photographer and you end up doing that for 30 years, wonderful. And if you do it for four, great. And if you do it for six months, awesome. I don't think it matters. 
But if you don't know who you are, you're going to continually chase something you don't actually want. But I think when you put in the effort to understand who you are, then you realize what it is you can do in a variation of places. And then it gives you the freedom to change if you want to change or keep doing what you're doing or just evolve the way you want to evolve. Um, but you can't make that decision based on a business. You have to make that decision based on yourself as a freelancer because you are your business. At the end of the day, you are your business. Now you can change and you can hire four people and you become a, you go out of entrepreneurship and into business ownership. And there's a difference there. Okay. Then we have culture and then we have people and we have teams and we have management. Everything changes. But if you work for you, you are the business. I don't care how you do it, how you brand it, what you say. At the end of the day, people are hiring you because they like you, the person. Yep. You cannot be an asshole and have a great product and people will still hire you. Not at this stage. No, there's too many people out there with great products that aren't assholes. hundred percent. And so I think uh, one is um, figure out what you need and be satisfied with what you need. I'm not saying don't work more, don't work harder and don't make more. Do that. Do that too. But figure out what you need first to give a, so you can look at the reality of, can I actually do this? Like a good baseline of where versus this like arbitrary, like, oh, I just want to make a lot of money. Exactly. Two, spend energy (laughs) and resources on yourself and know yourself. And then three, um, because you've chosen the freelance world, which means you like your freedom and autonomy of time, be really clear with yourself about how you're going to spend that time and who you're going to spend it with. That you've met, you, you have taken on an element of risk and lack of security for freedom. So then what are you going to do with that freedom? And I don't have an answer for that. I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't mm-hmm. do, but be really clear about what you hope to do with that freedom. Because if you, if you want autonomy and freedom because you just want it for you, I think you're probably going to wake up in a few years and be dissatisfied. I mean, it's, it sounds like it would be basically like chasing that rabbit that you don't actually want. And you're like, cool, I'm chasing autonomy and freedom, but I have it. But why do I right. want that thing? Right. Whereas... I don't know about for you, but for me, I can go, I want freedom and autonomy because I have so many things in my head that I want to do and yep. so many places that I want to go. And if right. I don't and if you're have not, that, if you're not I'm do- never going to get to do and that. And if you're not doing those things and you're not spending your time that way, then what's the point? Yeah. Like go get a job, have a 401k, have insurance, have a direct deposit, clock in, clock out, do your thing and then do what you want. Mm-hmm. There's another, and there's another, I'm not, I'm not saying that as a bad thing. There's literally nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing. For a lot of people, it is a beautiful thing. It's just a different, uh, it's just a different, it's just a different desire. It's a different dream. It's a different feeling. It's a different want. It's a different, and, it's a, and they're all great. None, they're not one. They're all value neutral. They're not good or bad. They just right. are. It's just, I would say it's a different way of looking at freedom. hundred percent. Because there's freedom there are people in both that have, ways. Yeah. There's people that have freedom that Sarah and I do not have because they know money's coming in every two weeks, no matter what. Mm-hmm. We don't have that freedom. We haven't had it in 10 years. Would you trade it? Never. <laughs> well, dude, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. I, uh, I had a feeling the way this ended is how things were going to end with us because I think we both like to talk a lot and it's like easy to have a conversation. And I was like, man, I could see us sitting down and talking for like three or four hours. Yeah. And be like, well, we well, can do it again. Yeah, it'll be good. We'll, we'll do some more sometime. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. So you can online. find me, you can find me online at just rockygarza.com. That's R O C K Y G A R Z A.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, everything is just at Rocky Garza. There's not a lot of us out there, so get fortunate. I get to keep the name on most things. Yeah. So just uh, Rocky Garza on, on most platforms. Um, we're launching um, um, January 15th, uh, a platform called Be Known. So you'll be able to get to that through Instagram and through the website. Uh, it's an online platform where you'll have um, 24-7 unlimited access to personal self-development content around confidence, clarity of self, meaningful relationships. Awesome. Um, yeah, so you can check that out. It's $49 a month. Um, Love to have you join us. If you have any questions, please feel free on any of those platforms. Reach out uh, and access us. Um, Let us know what you need and how we can serve you.
So that means if you're listening to this, that you should just go to his website and check out what they currently have because right. it's probably changed and evolved since we've recorded this. That's almost 100% true. Which means that if you're hearing this, the January 15th is already coming past and That's it's right. open. It's open. So get it's it. It's open. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on man yeah dude appreciate uh, it listeners thank you as always for tuning in and listening and uh, I know that that in comparison to a lot of the interviews we have on that this one is a little bit different than the ones that we've had just because we didn't quite get to some of the stuff that we usually talked about but it's great and I love that about this show um, and I would love to know if that's something that you would like to kind of see more of this direction on the show or if you want more like practical like nothing bolted stuff or what do you want because really the show is not about me it's about you, the listeners, and it's about the people that come on the show so that hopefully you can learn something and take something away from it for your life. Um, you can best let me know that either through Instagram uh, or you can email me or really my preferred way would be ratings and reviews because we all want a little bit of validation in our That's lives. Right. That's right. Like, social, subscribe, follow. You know, social currency does help. You know, we all eat fast food sometimes. That's right. Anyway, thank you so much, listeners. Thank you, Rocky. Absolutely. And, uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We'll be with you next time. Freelance Freddy is a Vacacy production. Vacacy is a freelance content creator based in the United States and available worldwide. Vacacy. Big production value, freelance, agility, and scale. 